Morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Um, morning to you. Hey, this morning, we are continuing in our Life's Biggest Questions series, where we are taking a look at the five biggest, most foundational questions of all of life. And this week, our question is, what am I here for? Uh, which is going to be good for us to look at. There's a lot in this. And so <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this really important question. Why are you here? What what purpose is there to your life? Is there purpose to your career, to the money you make, to your relationships, to your family? Or what about kids? For those of you that have kids or you have a grandkids, what if they came up to you at lunch today or next week and they said to you, what am I here for? How would you answer that question? It's a big question. It's a massive question. So we're going to see if we can begin to answer this question. Uh, as we've done uh, in every other week of this series, I don't want to give you just the Christian and biblical answer. I want to compare that answer to the secular answers that are out there in the world. A secular just means the non-religious answer. And we're going to start uh, with the secular answers today. And so it'll take me a little bit to get to the Bible, which isn't our normal custom as we're just a Bible teaching church, uh, but it's been the way that we've kind of been comparing answers in this particular series. So we're going to start by looking at four common secular answers to this question of what am I here for? What is, another way to say this, what is the meaning of life? Okay, so here is the first one. I'll put a chart on the screen for you. The first secular answer is I am here to experience and enjoy life. So a lot of people will say this. Now, this answer isn't quite as common in uh, philosophical circles, but it may be the most common answer for just the everyday American. Uh, for many people in this camp, they're, they're not necessarily even thinking as much about the meaning of life, but instead they're thinking about, okay, what is going to make me happy? Uh, how am I going to find fulfillment in my life? And for many people, the answers are found just kind of in the common pursuits of life. It's their career, or it's making money, or having good health. I think a lot of millennials and Gen Z would probably add uh, more feelings-based experiences, like experiencing what life has to offer, or traveling, or friendships. I think you could say this still probably other people would say, okay, the, the meaning of life, what I'm here for, you know, it's connected to this and enjoying and experience life, but it's found in, in love, in relationships. Some would even say in pleasure. Actually, I think for most people, you can reverse engineer what they think the meaning of life is by just studying what they spend most of their time on. Is it their career? Is it their family? Is it entertainment? But I think the question of this first one that we can ask, this first secular answer, the question we can ask of it is, can you really find meaning and purpose in the things of this earth? Now, if this is something that intrigues you and you're wondering deeply about it, I, one of the things I would encourage you to do this week is to read the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, it's written by King Solomon, who is one of the wisest people to ever walk the face of the planet. And what's really fascinating about Solomon is Solomon had basically everything the world could offer in terms of money, sensual pleasure, success, power, anything you think you could get from the world, he got it. And yet Solomon writes this. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. 
My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now, even if you're here today and you're a bit skeptical about the Bible, one of the things I would say to you is you'll find the exact same philosophical emptiness in those in our modern world who looked really deeply and tried really hard to suck life and meaning out of the things of this world. Like, you ever heard the biography of Steve Jobs? Look at his life. There's many examples like that. Or you could even look to, if you're more of a sports person than an, than an Apple computer fanboy or whatever, right? You can see this in, in athletes, right? When they hang their shoes up, they don't know what to do with life. Or celebrities are a, a perfect example too. They reach this pinnacle and yet they're so unsatisfied that so many of them turn to drugs and other things. And it's like, if we were put on this earth to find meaning in the things of this world, then surely those folks, like the celebrities, they should be the pinnacle of joy, not the epitome of emptiness that they often are. And so it falls flat a little bit as an idea that meaning is found in just the things of this world. Okay, let's look, take a look now at the second common secular answer to what am I here for? And that is this. A lot of people say, I am here to do good. The purpose of my life the meaning of my life is to make a difference. Uh, you can see this idea in popular quotes like this one from Albert Einstein. Einstein once said, only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. See, I think there are a lot of people out there that they want to make a difference, right? And they often seek to do so through their career. Maybe it's the volunteer work that they do. And they see that kind of as the primary thing that gives their life meaning. These are the folks who talk a lot about leaving a legacy, Maybe it's for their family. Uh, maybe it's at their place of employment. And again, this is not a bad thing, right? This is definitely better than just like living a life of self-indulgence. In fact, it's like this, all this, let's make a difference in this world talk. It sounds super good and it does kind of speak to purpose, but it doesn't and it can't ultimately speak to meaning. I, I think many people are essentially saying that they want to leave this world a better place, but doesn't secularism say that there's no point to this world in the first place? Let me, let me take a few minutes here to kind of flesh out what I'm saying. So back in 2016, uh, and you can look this up on our website if you're interested in this, we did a teaching series in our church uh, related to this thought, and it was called A Chair With No Legs. And the basic premise of this teaching series was that many of the good things that people believe that we should do in our culture today. Uh, I'm talking about things like fight for justice and serve others, live unselfishly. Those things actually have their foundation in Christian thinking, in Christianity. But even though the culture has now sought to free itself from Christ and his rule over their lives, the culture has retained many of these principles like justice and equality and service, but they remove the legs Christianity, the foundation for why we started to believe those things were so important as a culture in the first place. And a chair without legs is destined to fall. And so think about this. The culture is still saying, do good, make a difference, change the world. But gone are the Christian legs that hold up those principles. 
And all that's really left is this incredibly wobbly foundation. So what are the philosophical foundations now if we even remove Christianity? It's the things we've been talking about. You're left with this idea that, okay, what about our origins? Well, our origins in secular thought is that we are a scientific accident. Well, what about our destination? Well, the destination in secular thought is that one day we will all cease to exist. And if those are your philosophical foundations now, then honestly, you've got to ask yourself, then what real reason is there to do good? Or what deeper meaning could you find in it? And so that leads us then to the third secular answer to this question. And this one, although far less common among regular everyday people, it is far more common among secular philosophers and thinkers. And the third answer to what am I here for in the secular world, in the non-religious world, is this. That there is no meaning to why I am here. And that sounds depressing, right? But it doesn't come out of this sort of depressed state or this melancholy soul. What secular philosophers are trying to do here, and I actually really respect this, is they're trying to be consistent with the rest of their answers to life's biggest questions. They're saying, okay, well, what am I here for? Nothing. Because in their worldview, human life has no purpose because there isn't a person that put them or a being that put them here to have purpose. So they're saying, if there is no God, then there can't be such a thing as meaning or purpose. And really, they're starting from what was our first of life's biggest questions from week one. They start with, where did we come from? And remember, the secular answer, so the answer without God, is that we are a scientific accident, that some amino acids and chemicals came together, and and we are just evolutionary byproducts of what randomly happened. Or as the famous theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking put it, he said it this way. He said, the human race is just a chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet. Now, it's really lovely, by the way. If, if you are, let's just be, think logic here, because I think sometimes people go with their head and then they swing wildly with their heart to an illogical conclusion. But if you are just an accidental chemical scum then yeah, it actually is an outlandish leap to then declare that there is some sort of objective, transcendent purpose that you are here for. There isn't. You're a scum. If Again, if you're going by that secular logic. But see, after reading thoughts like this, a lot of people go, I don't like that, right? They'll say, even if there is a creator, right? even if I am just an accidental evolutionary byproduct, can't there still be meaning to my life if I'm making a difference in my community, uh, in my family, in politics, if I'm trying to change the world? To which the atheist, uh, Graham Lawton, in the regarded science magazine New Scientist replies with this. What is the meaning of life? That was actually the question that he's answering in his article. Look at what he says, because this is consistent secular thought. He says, the harsh answer is, it has none. Your life may feel like a big deal to you, but it's actually a random blip of matter and energy in an uncaring and impersonal universe. This is not what I'm saying to you. This is, again, this is secular thought. When <laughs> I don't know why that was funny. <laughs> okay, why would I say that to you? Okay, um, when it ends, a few people will remember you for a while, but they will die too. Even if you make the history books, your contribution will soon be forgotten. Humans will go extinct. Earth and the sun will be destroyed. Eventually, the universe itself will end. 
against this appalling reality, how can a human life have any real meaning? Now, that's a harsh word, right? But what is he doing? He's trying to be consistent with all the other answers secularism has already given. And by the way, if you want to be logically consistent, try and create a morality, a system of right and wrong out of those answers, that you originally are an accident and that no one will remember you, or even humanity, someday in the future. Why even be good then? Right? What's the point at all to right and wrong? This is why Timothy Keller once brilliantly quipped. He said, if there is no God or anything beyond this material world, then whether you've been good or cruel or murderous will make no final difference. But the truth is, most people can't live with this, right? It feels ugly. And so they don't want to live with this. And so I think most people in the world, they try and salvage something out of that third theory, which brings us to our fourth and final common secular answer, and that is this. People say, there is no meaning to why I am here, but I can determine my own meaning. Now, if you think that doesn't make sense, um, you're actually right. <laughs> this, this, is, this is postmodernism. And po- embedded in the idea of postmodernism is the idea that the locus of truth, that truth is found internally, and that we each can kind of determine our own truth. Uh, the famous uh, scientist uh, and agnostic, Carl Sagan, who, by the way, never allowed himself to become a full-blown atheist because he just couldn't get over how finely tuned the laws of physics were, like we talked about in the first week. He explained this fourth view this way. He says, We live in a vast and awesome universe in which daily suns are made and worlds destroyed, where humanity clings to an obscure clod of rock. The significance of our lives in our fragile realm derives from our own wisdom and courage. We are the custodians of life's meaning. In other words, he's saying, okay, there is no objective, transcendent, higher level meaning or purpose to your life, and so make up your own meaning. You find a way to give your life significance and say that it matters. Okay, but this is like saying, if you're really studying this and you're trying to figure out the answers to life's biggest questions, and all of the answers, because you're not believing in God, if all the answers are leading you to believe that there is no meaning then just try not to think too hard about that and instead make up your own meaning. Where what I'm saying to you in this series is seek the truth. Keep looking for the truth until you find a system, a worldview that is logically consistent the whole way through. The whole way through and true. So think about this in in this series. The truth is this. Most people don't want to believe that their life is an accident. Most people don't want to believe that there's no purpose to changing the world. Most people don't want to believe that there's no such thing as right and wrong. Most people don't want to believe that their life has no meaning. They want, they crave meaning and purpose. And you might even ask yourself, why is it that humans are so desperate to find meaning and purpose? Perhaps, is it because they were created to find meaning and purpose? I think Americans have been so desperate lately to find a sense of meaning or a reason behind why they are here, a reason behind the things that are happening in their life, that I hear, and I don't know if you're hearing this too, I hear more and more secular people nowadays say things like, you know what, it was just meant to be. You ever hear that? 
People say like in their relationships or their job, it was just meant to be as if there's some magic thing out there called fate that's guiding our lives. One of the phrases I'm hearing all the time, I feel like in the last 24 months, I'm curious if you're hearing this, people are saying the universe just wanted it that way. That's why it happened. The universe just wanted it that way. As if we could personify the universe or fate and make it into a being that loves us and has a plan for our lives. What are people looking for? They're looking for God. And could it be, this is why I want you to just come to a conclusion that is consistent and makes sense. Could it be possible that God is actually the most logical answer to this question? What am I here for? What is the meaning of life? So what is the biblical answer to this huge question? What am I here for? Okay, while there is no Bible verse that explicitly and verbatim says the meaning of life is a blank, from systematic theology that's studying the whole Bible on a particular topic, I can tell you that the most famous answer to this question comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it is this. It is that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So the chief and the main point of our human existence is to bring glory to God and enjoy him. And you see this throughout the Bible. Let's look at a few verses now. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, so basically all of life, do it all for the glory of God. Or the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he tells the Israelites what God is saying to them about bringing them back uh, to his land and to him. And he says this in chapter 43. God says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for. Oh, this is going to be good. He's going to tell us what we're created for. Whom I created for my glory. Whom I formed and made. And so what this is saying is that the way that you live your life. It ought to cause other people around you to glorify God. That people would look at your life and say, wow, that person, the way they, they make me want to believe in God. The way that they act, the way that they talk, who they are. That person makes me just want to give glory. They make me want to praise God. This is why when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, uh, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we seek first the kingdom of God, and you're loving the Lord with all your heart, and you're loving other people, that brings praise and glory to God. Now, I want to keep talking about this a bit, but I just want to take a quick interlude to cover what are, I think, the two most common objections to this. When we say, okay, what we're here for is to give glory to God and enjoy him forever people go, well, I'm not so sure. And here are the objections. Some people say, if that's what I'm here for, that makes the purpose of my life seem pretty centered actually on God and not my own life. And I would say to you, one of the things I want you to understand is that Western modern culture is the first culture to even make that objection because we're so focused on ourselves. Your ancestors actually never would have even thought to ask that question. And also remember that all of the Christian answers to life's biggest questions are logically consistent with one another. So next week, when we get to the fifth and final question of what happens when I die, and we talk about life going on and on and on for all of eternity, 
If that's true, and life really does go on and on, then when we talk about the meaning of life, meaning must be more expansive than our current earthly focused definition of meaning. So think about this. If life is eternal, and this current life on earth is really just a blip on a timeline that goes for billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of years, then why in the world would the meaning of your existence only be about your life on earth? Have you ever thought about that? When you remember that your existence is going to go on for so much longer, it seems odd, therefore, to say that the meaning of my existence is my 40-year career on earth, or the trips that I will go on, or the good I will do in my 15 years of retirement. It doesn't make sense. The meaning of life would be entirely about this short time we have on earth. That would be like a fourth grader demanding to find the meaning of life in the first semester of fourth grade. Right? You would go up to him and say, buddy, there's more to life than Pokemon or whatever. Right? Just as a Christian would say to everyone else on the planet, we'd say, listen, there is more to life than just life on earth. And therefore, as Christians, we live for God's glory because we'll be living in his glory for all of eternity. And the second objection that I hear to this answer, that the chief aim of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, is people say, that just sounds like too duty-bound, like too dry. Say, all right, I'm here to like serve and obey God. And I think that no, that's just a character of that answer. That's not what the Bible really says. Uh, look at this answer again. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to what? What's it say? Enjoy him forever. I've always felt that uh, one of Pastor John Piper's greatest contributions to the Christian church and Christian thought has been when he very famously wrote this. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I think this is actually a really beautiful promise of the Christian faith. The Christian faith isn't just saying, hey, serve, trust, and obey God. Yes, do that. But what the Bible is saying is that God is actually the most glorified, not by you just coming to church and learning about him and obeying him. Yeah, again, yeah. But God is the most glorified, And thus you are then most deeply living out your purpose when you are most deeply satisfied in him. Because when that happens, when you're walking around and you are so deeply satisfied in God, what happens around you? People are glorifying God because of what they see in your heart, what they see in your life. It's kind of profound, and it's pretty amazing, actually. And this is what I love, because these Christian answers to life's biggest questions, they're not only logically consistent, but these Christian answers are actually fulfilling the longing of the secular heart. So watch this. Let's put up our chart again where we started. The first secular hope is, I'm here to experience and enjoy life. What are they looking for? joy within experience. And that innate, innate desire isn't completely wrong, right? It's just that many people, they're not pointing that desire in the right direction. They're pointing it inward, going, I will find joy, when really they need to point it upward. So here's the truth. Let's fill in the next rectangle. 
The truth is you are here most deeply to enjoy God. And if any of you in this room are looking at it, they're like, I don't know, that feels kind of like a letdown to me. What I would say to you is that you truly haven't met God then. Because an experience with God is amazing. It will trump anything that you've experienced on this earth. You were made, created, first and foremost, to find life in God, not just in the things of this world. And even the things of this world, the trips, the sights, the people, turn from hollow to beautiful when you can see God's hand behind them. It's really quite amazing. Okay, let's keep going. The next secular hope on here is... I am here to do good and make a difference. Again, those impulses are good. They are noble. They are true. But I would say to you, you don't have to make up what good is. You don't have to make up a meaning behind it. The truth is you can now say, if we fill this in, we can say, I am here because God, because God. (laughs) Can we put the next one on there? Kenny, thank you. Um, I am here because God wants to use me for the good. And that's an important thing. God actually has a plan for you. And he wants to use you to bring glory to his name. It's pretty amazing. It's the same thing, but it's different, right? And it's deeper. And so when the famous philosophers of the world, they say, oh, you know, ultimately your life has no meaning. There's no reason that you are here. If that is leaving you feeling unsatisfied, please do not in just an illogical contradiction say, you know what? I'll just find my own meaning. No, seek the truth because here is the truth that the Christian believes. We believe in this final box. It says this, the king of kings, that God has created me, loves me, and decided to use me for his glory. Therefore, my life is infinitely meaningful. Think about that for a second. This is key. We need this right now in America. Too many of us have friends and family right now. This is happening way too often in our country. People are taking their own life in so many ways because they don't find meaning. They've looked deep into life and all the things this earth could give them, and they've said, it is hollow. And I want them so desperately to know that, you know what? There is a truth in that. It is hollow. But there is a creator who made you, and he loves you, even in your darkest moments. And he has a plan for you and wants to use you. I mean, if the Bible is right, and God knit you together in your mother's womb, and he loves you and has a plan for you, and he wants to use you to do things that will affect all of eternity, then yeah, your life is amazingly, infinitely meaningful. And the Bible's answer to this question is just so much more beautiful than the hollow answers of secularism. And it's consistent. And it's the truth that God is real and that he loves you. So much so that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to earth for you, to die in your place for your sins. Because God is just, and we deserve justice, punishment for our sins. But he loves you so much, he sent Jesus to die in your place. And the Bible teaches that when you believe in that, it is your faith that forgives you. 
and makes you clean, makes you right with God. But I'll tell you, your life will never be right until you basin in that. You won't find meaning. You won't find purpose anywhere else because you weren't meant to find it anywhere else. It's like trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. And for a lot of people, this process of coming to the conclusion to surrender your life to God, to say, you know what, I get it. It's what I'm looking at. I believe in it. It's a process. It takes a while. In my own life, it took about six months. For some people, it takes a year. For some people, it's much faster. But it's a process. But it's a process that does eventually need to come to a point of decision. A point where you'd say, you know what, I, I do believe. This is what I believe. It's been a long time coming. But I believe in God. And that he sent his son Jesus for me. I believe this makes the most sense. I believe this takes the least amount of faith, actually to believe that I'm created by God and that he loves me. And if you need to make that decision today, you've been just working on it, but you're coming to a point of decision to turn your life over to God, to trust in the sacrifice of Jesus for you, I encourage you, make that decision today. In fact, what we're going to do here is we're going to sing a song. And as soon as we start the song, I'm going to go out into the lobby. And as soon as people stand up, if you need to make this decision today, say, you know what, Lord... Here are the keys in my life. I I do believe that you exist. I want to become your follower. I want to be forgiven. What I want you to do is people stand up. I want you to just kind of sneak out of your row, follow me out to the lobby, and that'll be your decision point to say, you know what, I'm going to follow. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And then I will help you get started with, okay, what do you do? What's next? How do I begin to follow Jesus? And then you can sneak back into your seat in a few minutes. Sound good? All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much that you love us, and that you have a plan. You have a purpose for our life. We're not just random scum on the earth. God, there's so much meaning in that. I just can't believe that you even know us, let alone that you love us and you sent your son for us. We're just so grateful for that, and we worship you now. It's your name we pray. Amen.